Hello, everyone. And this is Jacob. Before you get to this podcast and hear everything that we're going to talk about, this was a part of our Thanksgiving PD little mini series. We did three podcasts and a PD this last Saturday on the 25th. All of that is available on our Patreon listener plus supporters can get all of the videos and everything. This is the first podcast that we did about it, the first live one, but there are much more. So if you want access to all of this, and if you want the PD that we did where we gave actual concrete examples of the things we talk about here and in the other two podcasts that are available right now at Patreon, go to patreon.com slash craft and draft. You can also find that link in the description. All right. Well, Jacob, I've got a question for you. Yeah. And it's all about Thanksgiving. Oh. I'm curious to know, what is your favorite Thanksgiving type meal? You know, everybody all over the world does something a little bit different. So what is yours? Good Lord. Thanksgiving. You're welcome. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's fine. I mean, everyone's got one, right? I mean, I, I definitely have one. Thanksgiving's a weird holiday for me. Um, I would say if I had to pick a single dish, it's got to be the stuffing, right? Or the dressing, I guess, as some people call it. But So, um, so do y'all do, do you do the cornbread stuffing or the, but see, what is your stuffing thing. like? I don't, I don't even, I don't have a version because oh. I'm I'm a youngin, so I don't have I I just show up and I judge other people's stuff. Oh. right! I get I get it handed to me in some form or fashion, or we have uh, stuff that's um, you know cooked at the the staff Thanksgiving area or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But it's always my favorite. And here's here's what I love to do. Okay, and this is kind of a quirk of mine. Um, but I'm curious if anyone else does this. So I don't actually care that much for Thanksgiving. I like the next morning because what I do is I take all the leftovers, take the turkey, I take the stuffing, take some of the, maybe the deviled eggs if they've survived, whatever else that kind of works together, put on a big plate. And then I also, the next morning I make bacon and I get fried eggs and I put the fried eggs on top of the the stuffing in the morning to where it's a little runny and I let it run out in there. Then I create this huge breakfast in the morning and it is like, I mean, too much gluttony all the way, just being super full on everything. But you know what? It is delicious. It's my favorite thing to do. Why don't I just put eggs on the stuffing on Thanksgiving? Cause it's not the same. It has to be for breakfast. It has to be a breakfast morning extravaganza. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What's yours? You asked me. We got. We I don't know, but I've never heard anybody do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I gotta say. <laughs> I don't know. You know what's funny is I don't know where it started. I think it started. Um, I guess just going to like family and eating food there, and then you know everyone sends home leftovers with everyone, right? Because they don't yeah. want them all in the house, and so mm-hmm. they could just start with that. And then when I was younger, I would wake up later. So by the time I woke up, it was already lunch, right? Like, I don't do that these days most of the time. But, you know, I'd wake up at like 11 or noon. I'm like, well, heck, it's lunchtime. Time to eat that. And so I think that's where the tradition started with me. Uh, but now yeah. it's like a it's like a conscious thing I look forward to is, is Thanksgiving breakfast. Yeah. Next day. Weird, right? Here's here's a better question. <laughs> uh oh. That sounded insulting. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. I appreciate it. Hey, I'm good. I'm sorry. No, I 
because here's what I've discovered. So we've done some Friendsgivings uh, in the last like few years, and my family, uh, or my friends, sorry, they have brought over different styles of turkey. And so like two years ago was the first time I ever had a fried turkey. Mm-hmm. And I gotta tell you, fried turkey's delicious. Have you ever had it? Yeah, so you were asking me about mine. So my if I go yeah. to my brother's, he always has fried turkey. Really? He's even had one explode on him, so that was pretty cool. Oh. But he has fried turkey. I go to my son's, it's always smoked turkey. And then my husband, he would always just roast the turkey like normal, but he would put so much butter and stuff on it. It was mm-hmm. so good. So, and then he would put a little bur- uh, little um, burgundy in his turkey. So anyway, so I've had my, it depends on where we go. And then one time we went with, um, I went over to my cousin's house years ago and she had married a guy from Boston and theirs was all fish. They didn't have any turkey. So it was kind of different. And they had oyster. I think they had pheasant or something. But then that but that was fish. I remember it was all fish. So who knows? It was weird. That, to me, that was weird. But it might not be weird to those who live on the coast. <laughs> so I don't live on the coast. And we always do cornbread dressing. And then so this year I've been asked to do um, broccoli cheese casserole. That's a that's a staple. We always have to have that. And then um and then I'm doing rolls. My grandmother always made rolls. So she taught me before she passed. She, at some point I would sit, I like to sit and watch my grandparents cook. So uh, my one grandma, she would always cook the the dressing and she'd always have me taste it to see if it was just right. And so by being there, watching her do it, I learned how to do the dressing. And it's it's a cornbread dressing country, as country as you can be, but cornbread dressing. And then my other grandmother would always do the rolls. So I'd sit and watch her do the rolls and then I would help her. And she, so by doing that, she taught me how to do the rolls. So I've been requested to do the broccoli and cheese casserole and the rolls and then do some sort of pecan pie type thing. So, <clears throat> but anyway, and I like making pumpkin pies. That's probably one of my favorite, but um, my daughter-in-law, she makes pumpkin pie a little bit different with cardamom and stuff in it. So it's different. And they, uh, so she's making the pumpkin pies, but so anyway, that's kind of it, but we can't do it without broccoli cheese casserole and cornbread dressing. And we, everybody brings their style of Turkey. It seems depending on where we're, who who said they're going to make the Turkey. Mm -hmm. So, but my son, when he cooks that, when he, when he smokes the Turkey, I think about two years, three years ago, I went to their house and I think it was the best turkey I think I'd ever had. It was just, it just fell off the bone. It was just, it cooked all night long. It was the best, but we'll see if he can imitate that. We're going to his house. We'll see if he can imitate that this year. We'll see. We'll see. And then my brother, I think he's going to do a brisket. So we're going to have brisket and turkey and ham. Oh my God. So, so anyway, right? You're, huh? Are you getting leftovers? If I can, if I can pull away, yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can break some. some. Okay. Just snag you some. Okay, I'll see what I can do. Well, one of the things too, like if you're working with a team, um, that we did when we were coaches is, and I think we did it when we were a team, and that was you determine 
like you pick some pieces that we all had to do, right? Because in curriculum, they, they typically say you have to, you know, they'll they'll tell you what type of pieces you need to be working on in this particular um, unit or or six weeks or nine weeks. And uh, so then you 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 pick a few of those, right? And then what we would do is we would say, okay, after the kids write them, then you need to pull uh, three high, three middle, and three low, what you think are low. And so as a team, we decide what is high, middle, and low, and then we bring those. And so then from there, you can look at the whole team. You can look at the whole entire grouping and then everybody kind of see what where we're at, you know, how many highs and how many lows and being able to reflect. And then you go back and take that information and you look at all your other pieces and kind of look at them in relation to the other kids. And so that's one thing that that I found uh, when you're working with a team to bring the whole team up. Uh, and so then that kind of puts us on the same same page. And I think that that our last team with it, where we were actually working together, we did things like that, or we we looked and saw what we were doing, I think, if I remember right. But we definitely did it as coaches. <clears throat> and so that was always very helpful. And, um, but anyway, those are some things. And then, and then, and, um, I think too, in order to get the, get those conversations out from the kids that we have to actually be, be speaking like that in our workshops with the kids in our conferences, we need to have the kids do that. And I think the students that are kind of, uh, have a difficult time with it. That's where a lot of people put in what the sentence starters or your survey starters, things like that might be helpful uh, if to, to get kids started. I've never really had to use those as, that much, um, you know, because I think we st- I've always started out talking about the writing, talking about uh, and and then I don't know, just building that community. And then I always had and, and you've seen that where I've always had the kids in groups. And, uh, and so the, the, they start with pairs and they talk about their writing, like almost on the first day of school. And so when we get to that reflection time, I, I don't have as, I don't feel like it's as difficult. Now, what, what they do, they are surprised by how much work they've done and they get so excited that they, they just, it's really kind of neat. They have no idea until we do the reflection that they, when they start pulling out all their work, especially when everything was by hand in the old days. And it was like, they would have a, they would have a stack this thick on just one piece. And they were like, this is how we've done so much. I had no idea we did all this work and they never even considered it work because they were enjoying the process. So. So anyway. I, I want to shift a little bit. All right. Okay. Now they're kind of like halfway through ish um, mm-hmm. is I want to talk about the use of kind of the analytical side, right? The actual numerical side of data, because okay. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about some of this. Be, I think what you and I, we try to stress the nuances of all these other things so much because it's what gets overlooked, right? We overlook the the, the process of writing so much. We overlook the the volume of reading as a testament to how readers are growing and, and all of that in classrooms. Um, it tends to not be important data on data walls, right? They tend to just pull the, the testing data and that's about it. They don't ever talk mm-hmm. about, you know, the time kids are writing, the time kids are reading. So we spend a lot of time talking about those things because we think they're important. But I think on the other side, which is you and I have always tried to strike a balance and we've always had to because 
we teach in public schools and we have, we're, we're held to the same accountability that everyone else is, uh, held to. So, mm-hmm. um, I think it's important to address that as well, specifically in a workshop format, which is, I think the other data pieces, right? So giving these tests and tracking standards, for instance, which we've had to do on various campuses, seeing how camp or how standards can rise up, um, and how we can improve the performance on certain standards. I think the one of the big pitfalls of this is teachers will get to December and let's say they give a test that's maybe a combo of something, right? Something very common that you and I would do would what a drama and an informational piece or something like that. Okay. A drama yeah. and a poem, some type of cross genre. Yeah, test. by now we're doing paired passages. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and so we're looking at that and we're like, okay, so we should see this growth in these standards, right? Let's do inferencing. So we should, our inferencing standards should be higher, but what happens? We give a test. Oh my God, it, it wasn't higher than last year or, or the last test. Why? And I think this is where the pitfall is, is we think that, I don't think we think this. I think it's, there's a misconception that reading growth happens linearly, linearly, uh, on standards, but it really doesn't, right? Your inferencing Mm -hmm. skills may be strong in poetry, but maybe, I mean, not, that doesn't translate to every poem. It definitely doesn't translate if you're adding poem and drama together, poem and informational pieces or drama and informational or anything that's cross genre. It's automatically going to increase the difficulty and performance of that. But I feel like there's this pressure and you and I have felt this pressure from various administrators in our time of, well, why, why isn't our, why isn't this standard going up? This is our focus standard. The focus standard should always be rising up on every test. What happened? Kids must be falling behind. Um, and it creates this unneeded stress uh, and feeling of failure. But I wanted to kind of pay, I don't know, tribute might be the wrong word, but pay tribute to the idea of like this non-linear progression of reading and how to handle that at this point in the year when you might be stressed, things are all happening. Uh, the kid, you know, everything's going crazy at your school and then you give a test and you think it's going to be better, but it's really not. So how have you dealt with those moments, Miss Ochoa? Well, a lot of times it's not better because you have to really look at your your pieces. The, the pieces that the kids read are not all the same. And the way that they're, the way we question them uh, are not always the same. So if, if there's a big fall, let's say on inferencing, well, inferencing, because we've done that where that was our main standard, because if you can't infer, you're really already dead in the water. So you look at inferencing, but here's the thing about inferencing. It's so complex that there's so many parts of inferencing that you can ask an inferencing question in so many different ways that some of your kids, they see it, they can visualize it, they can make predictions and they're really good at that. And then some other ones, they, they're not able to see and read between the lines and make predictions you know, and that way. So sometimes it's a more concrete question and sometimes it's really more abstract question. So that right there will already skew your data. So what you really want to do is you want to try to find um, as close to possible some of the same questions. But here's the thing. You don't really know what the what they're going to ask uh, on those high stakes tests. So So I would say you keep a few that are similar, but then always have like 
you know, like on inferencing, and I'm, I'm only really focusing on inferencing right now, because there's so many different ways to ask it, I would study how it's been asked in the past. Okay, number one, and then look at the skill as it is. And then I would on my test, if I'm comparing tests to see if there's growth, then I've got to make sure that I have similar text, similar questioning, and then that's the type, part of the standard that I follow to see if there's growth in that area. And then you ask one of the nuanced ways, right? So one might be, you know, to make a generalization. The other one might be more on making a prediction. You look and see how those kids are doing. And then on the next one, let's say they bomb one of the more complex questions. And, and, and you know, they ask them in several different ways. It's been a while since I've looked at them. But, you know, some are... Um, what can we infer about what the character's thinking about Sally, right? And and then the other one is, what is Sally actually, you know, what do we know that, I don't know, how Sally's, what Sally's going to do in the future based on what we just heard, you know, or what does their conversation say? So some is about maybe their conversation, some is about the way they look, some is about the way somebody reacts to them. And then the kids have to make a prediction or figure out, I keep saying prediction for some reason, but they have to make an inference about something that's coming down the pike or understanding uh, the theme. You know, how does this apply to the theme? Those kinds of things. So if you have a question that's really different from your one that you're following, Okay, it could still be the same standard. Go ahead and add that. But then on your next data set, your next set, you got to follow that question to see if there's improvement and come up with a very similar way of asking it. And then try to maintain a, um, the type of questions that are being that have been asked in the past. So I wouldn't panic over the dip because, and, but here's the problem. You've got your, uh, no offense, Mr. Principal, but you got these principles that come in and uh, nothing wrong with them, but there's a math principle, right? That comes in and they're like, you know, cause they taught math and everything's black and white. And then they're over here going, well, you're failing and, you know, and then you get all this pressure and then you got to defend it. So you're busy trying to defend it. And they're all like, yeah, but it's all inferencing. But what they don't understand is the nuance and the, the whole entire abstractness of inference. It might look like a simple standard, but it's not. It it involves so many different things. And so you have to know how that question is being asked, what you're actually looking for. And then you've got to come up with uh, pieces that read similarly so that you can get the same type of question to see if there is growth. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up in terms of like sitting with your principal going, yeah, uh, you know, they're like, why like is this you. like this? Right. Um, I do. They do 100%. Well, I that's know. you and I, I mean, this is where craft the draft came from essentially, right? The mm -hmm. whole idea of we're doing so much work in the classroom we're doing all of this reading, all of this writing, but there was, we kept on going, so how do you show this to someone who, you know, like, let's say you have a kid who they make 20s on test and you get them up to a 50. Doesn't really do much for you, but. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's growth, but, by golly, I'm going to claim yeah, it. Well, there's growth there, <laughs> but you. It's hard to speak to that if you have someone who doesn't understand kind of the nuances of everything else, right? They're only looking at pass fail. And so as unfair as it may be, I think that we can set ourselves up in a way that allows us to advocate for these kids a lot 
better and allows us to advocate for these practices a lot better. Because I think what happens specifically for maybe newer workshop teachers is they're doing a lot of great stuff and they have a lot of these great practice. A lot of kids are independently reading, they're choosing what they want to read. They're reflecting often. They're having dialogic journals with their books. Uh, they're writing pieces that they like. They're using voice. They're talking as a writer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then they get to the test and they fail. And so they're like, well, you can't do this anymore. You have to do this program or you can't do this anymore because of that. Or you go in through coaching cycles with someone who really doesn't understand the nuances because they need results now. They need results today, next week. And sometimes it doesn't work that way. And so what I started doing um, and this eventually led into you and I coming together and developing craft and draft was I would sit in my principal's office and I would have data on, let's say, cause we used to, I used to have to track, um, my bubble kids, right? The kids that were right on the edge from bit getting masters, right on the edge of getting meets, right on the edge of getting approaches. So the, but the ones at the bottom, right? The failures to approaches was really where all my effort was focused on. And so if I have, let's say these five kids who are my bubble kids, so to speak, they're like, okay, so why aren't they passing? Why aren't this? And I would bring in their writing and I would literally have stuff that showed their growth as a writer from here to here. Not because I was trying to show them that they're writing more, writing better, but because I wanted to talk about how I am working through getting them to transfer this knowledge that they're doing here into a standardized test because that standardized testing test create or answer creation is different than answer selection. Those are two separate skills, but we merge them so often together, right? It's, it's this belief that if a kid can verbally say something or write it, then they can necessarily pick it out of a crowd. And that's not always the case. And so what craft and draft does for us, right? is it gives us multiple angles to look at what a kid actually knows versus just handing a test and saying, oh, well, they don't know it. I failed them as the teacher. They're not there, right? They're not where I need to get them. Everything's miserable. We're never going to grow them. No, it's like, okay, so they missed this question, but on Wednesday, so they missed this, they missed this question on Friday, but on Wednesday, they answered the exact same question, but when it was an open-ended response and their writing to the answer was good. Right. Maybe not 100 percent, but it was solid enough to where it gave me enough information. So what does that tell me as the teacher? Well, it tells me a couple of things. Tells me my answer choices could have been bad. Right. If you're writing all of your answer choices, tells me maybe they're struggling with kind of just test taking strategies and getting confused by answer choices. But it tells me something's happening between that transfer from their actual thinking on the content and what you're trying to do in the standard versus how the test presented it. And that's valuable information. That's much more valuable than saying, oh, they missed it. I guess they didn't know it. <laughs> so that's okay. what like, but that's a, that is a much slower process and it requires you to have multiple points of data gathering. Um, and that's where I think it's so important to, you know, if you're not going to do craft and draft, right, if you're not going to go full fledged into the two journal system, then having something where you can track where the breakdown comes from. Cause again, let's do a reminder for people that may have not been through the craft and draft training that we have on Patreon and everything else is by the time they turn in a final piece or something, you can take that and go to the draft book and you can take that draft book. And then that tells you the standards that you're connected to. And if that tells you the standards that's connected to that it takes you to the mini lesson. And you can literally follow the breadcrumbs back and find out where the disconnect 
happens. And then you can have a nuanced conversation with your administrator and go, you know what? Johnny is really struggling, but I've noticed that he's, he's doing his lessons really well. There's some vocabulary disconnect here. He's doing his work fairly well, but when he gets to this test, he's really messing up. And what I notice more about data is he's missing the last five questions almost consistently. So what does that tell me? His so reading standard. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. All these things. And I, once I started having those conversations, that, pressure that you're talking about, I was able to mitigate it a lot more because I had so much more information than my administrator did just pulling up aware reports. Right. Um, and then what happens is it built this trust in me as the teacher to where they walk in, they see a lot of independent reading, not a lot of test taking strategies. They see a lot of independent writing, not a lot of test taking strategies, but eventually we get there, right? We get, we've had, we, you and I have done so many test taking strategy lessons. We could probably vomit because we've done so many of them in our time. We've done games, we've done tutorials, we've done all of those things, but we reserve those for when we really need them, right? You don't need to learn how to take a test for 180 days, you need to learn how to take your knowledge, take your stamina, take your skill set as a reader and writer and figure out how that looks like in a test. We've said it so many times. You don't teach non-writers to write an essay for a test. You teach writers how to take their voice and what they know in writing and how to write to a test. Same mm -hmm. thing for a reader. The way you read a test is different than you read a novel in bed. Mm -hmm. Right. And that transfer, I think, is good to teach kids, too, because what happens when kids hate writing, when they hate reading often, it's because all they've ever been told is that when you read this, you're going to answer 10 questions. You're going to be judged on how well you read the moment you read, <laughs> like not well, even not even like true. Even a breath. Well, it's true. It also sets up a lot of fake reading, you know, where yeah. kids, you know, because a lot of times teachers, we need answers. So, you know, my, I love my dad and he still does this sometimes. Right. But he'll be, he likes to lecture even at the, you know, so he's, he's Mr. Lecturer. So he'll get in. There. So what does that mean? And then you're like, you know, he wants to say like, maybe means that I need to, to straighten up whatever. And he'll go, if you, if you stay quiet long enough, he'll go, that means you need to straighten up. I mean, so, so we can actually, sometimes we, we shoot ourselves in the foot by answering the question because <laughs> the kids hold out and they learned that. And that's why it's important to do a lot of reading and a lot of writing. And I think that supports what you're saying there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really is just, I think that at this time of year, right. When we're mm -hmm. thinking about where our kids are and what it is, I think it's really easy to, I mean, this is a tiring time, right? It is is tiring for everyone. There's everyone, the holidays affect different people differently. Some kids are super excited to go. Some kids don't want to go home at all because that means for two weeks or a week at a time, they're not going to have, you know, a hot meal. They're not going to have a safe place. They're just going to go back into chaos or whatever. Right. And so you have, it's affecting everyone differently. And so I think it's a good time for reflection, but I think kind of the needless reflection is is really difficult, but it's also hard. I think teachers are really hard on themselves. <laughs> I think like it's teachers are, it's such a personal profession and you love the kids that are in your classrooms and you want to do a good job and you put in so much of your time and energy and effort and 
you get to this time of year and it's, I think it's really easy to be down on all of kind of the failures. So I think it's also important that regardless of if you're focusing more on the more nuanced pieces of workshop or whether you're looking at actual just testing data is to really hone in on what you're doing well, because I think that that is your springboard into what we're going to talk about tomorrow, which is refocusing in on your, your various aspects of your workshop. Um, so I don't want to get too much into that, but I think that really figuring out, okay, so what, what's going well, right? Am I just killing vocabulary this year? Like, is that my thing? It, mm -hmm. Am I doing really great at getting kids to read? Are they just reading like wild? Are they riding like crazy? Like whatever it is that's working. Maybe it's multiple things. Maybe it's only one thing. There were times when I taught where I really only had like <laughs> one solid thing going well. I, mm -hmm. I know the feeling. Um, but I think it's important to figure that out because it's good to dissect why, right? right. And I would be willing to bet, and I'd be curious of what you think, Ochoa, as the thing that you're doing the best is probably the thing that you're spending the most time on. Um, is the thing that you've allowed the most, uh, room to kind of grow and evolve. And I know in my early times when I was really starting, not full workshop yet, but I was starting to go into that mindset is it was independent reading is I, they weren't really reflecting on it yet. Right. They weren't, I wasn't conferencing the way that I would conference today. Um, there wasn't a lot, but kids were reading and I knew they were reading because we talked about it and they were going through books and they were excited to come in and read and reading time. Wasn't me just playing whack-a-mole for 20 minutes. It was, they came in, they got their books out and read. And so I had this evidence that showed me that now I didn't have a lot of evidence to prove that it was growing them, but I knew that that was going well. And so I'd go back and go, you know what? I've done good. I've set the time. They know the time exists and they're actually reading. Yes. Right. But that led me into when I started going deeper, I was like, you know what, now I'm going to focus on conferencing because I want to start helping them think through their books. And so that's how I shifted a little bit. But would you say that that's probably the things that are going well, or the things that you've had enough time for or. Well, that and also what you feel more comfortable with. I mean, the more if you feel comfortable with them reading, like it does not bother me at all to sit there and let them write. You know me, I'll go ahead and move everything. If they, if they get in a zone, we just go with it. Can we, so hang that, on, I don't want to derail you, but this is the most, Ochi, I know this is the most Ochoa thing on the planet because you are, <laughs> you, the yeah. number, you don't get behind in curriculum or lesson planning because you're slow, right? It's not like any of those things are like something went bad. You got derailed because something was going so well. You're like, well, we're going to do this for another 50 minutes. <laughs> yeah, pretty that's much. Maybe that's not literally 50, how your but. class works. But the kids, I mean, if it's we're in a zone, I'm not going to interrupt it. I don't recommend that for but I feel comfortable that way, but not everybody does. Some people feel comfortable with them reading. I mean, they really do. And they walk into your room. Those are the ones that walk into my room and go, why are they reading? I'm like, well, because it's what we do, you know? So I think sometimes, I mean, it is reading, but uh, I think sometimes what we feel comfortable with is what we end up doing. If somebody feels comfortable with grammar, I think that's why we we shirk from grammar is I think people are very uncomfortable about teaching it. They don't feel comfortable about their own knowledge. So therefore they don't feel comfortable. So uh, I think sometimes that, that impacts it as well. Um, I was going to go though, I, what I had something on my mind earlier and then I went blank. So I'm going to come back to it. And that is with the data or the data, whatever you want to say. 
But uh, I think it's important for kids. You you were talking about how we need to think as teachers what we're really doing well and focus on that. But I think it's important that so so once I look at the look at everything, right? So I kind of look at it myself, and then I typically have a day. And it usually takes me a full day and the kids are reading and they're working on their work and I'll pull the kids up uh, to my computer. You, if I have a laptop, I go out, but sometimes that hasn't always been the luxury depending on what our district was doing at the time. Cause they've done, you know, laptops and then they've done where it's all desktops and et cetera. But the point is I would bring the kids up and I would show them their data. I would show them their numbers and I would show them, you know, when you start doing the, the, the pre-test at the beginning of the year, and then now we're in the middle of the year and we just taken the other test and I show them how they're doing. I show them on their test. And then what I focus on is what have they, where the growth is, where the growth is. And I will give them a plan. Like I will say, you know, like some of them, if it dropped, sometimes it drops and I'll, and I just think reading is so important. You know, we have so many kids that don't speak English very well, right? There's their English language learners. So one of my, you know, one of the things that I would do is like they've dropped. Okay. It's okay. But are you, do you read at home? No, I'm having to take care of my brother's sister. Hey, here, here's a picture book. You need to go and read. Now let's come back and look at it. And I literally had a kid, um, she was always absent because she was taking care of her things, but she would come in and get like three of my books and she would take them home and she would, she would read them and her scores just went straight up. And it was because I gave her that plan, but we looked at those, we looked at her scores along the way. And because the kids can see growth, they start, I focus on what they're really good at. And, and, and then I give them a little plan on how to help that one thing they're not. And it usually involves a lot of reading and doing specific things in their reading. But the whole point is when you're talking about as teachers, we're hard on ourselves, but kids like to feel smart. And so if they feel like they're growing, then they're going to, they're going to get in there with you. And so that's another thing I like to do right before Christmas, you know, so next semester, here's what we're going to be doing. This is where you're at. And this is where you're going to be. And I already know you're going to be there. And this is why, and this is what you need to do to get there. So those are some things that I do with the data too. I just wanted to make sure I, I said that before we ended. Yeah. I think, just as a, a an addendum to that, I guess, is I think it's that's the last piece is really if you're going to look back at where you're at and you're going to have kids reflect on themselves as readers and as writers and as kids who take tests and all of those things, then I think it's also good to be like, OK, so looking forward, where do you based on where you're at now, where do you want to be? Right. What do you mm-hmm. what do you want to what's your goal as a reader, as a writer? And I think that if you've even somewhat created that culture in your classroom, kids will do it 100%. Like I have vivid memories of kids being like, you know, I, like I wrote a lot like about this topic or I wrote a lot in this genre or whatever. And they're like, you know what? I want to expand my horizons a little bit. Um, and I want to, I want to read different things or I want to finish the series I'm reading or whatever. And just even, even if like the goals they set change because over Christmas break, things evolve and whatnot, and kids are going to feel different later, you know, it's, I think it's important just to have that mindset that readers and writers set goals, right? When I go, when I get a book, I'll be like, okay, so I want to read 10 pages tonight. I want to read 20 pages tonight. I want to finish this book in a week, in a month, whatever. Um, that's a natural thing 
for people to do. It's also natural in writing to be like, you know, I really want to, this is kind of where I'm at. This is what I'm doing well at. This is what I'm not doing well at. This is how I kind of want to grow. Um, and I think it's important. And I think also just to double down is I think it's important for the, the teacher to do this with them. Right. Mm -hmm. Is to be like, you know what, like this year, for instance, like if I was setting reading goals for spring, I would tell my students, I'm like, man, here's the thing. I finished like two books this year. I'm so behind on reading. I have a stack of to-be-read books that are taller than my head, and I'm going to double down in spring, and I'm going to read this many books. And that, that would be honest about it because I really have been struggling with reading the last few months. Um, and I would set those goals, and I would kind of model that thinking for them. Now this doesn't have to be like a 45 minute lesson, right? This can be like those half days that you have coming up or whatever. It can be something that is just a part of your classroom. And I think it's cool. Like, you know, set up a space in your, in your class, do sticky notes about the goals that you want to put up there. They don't even have to put, um, their names on them if they don't want to, or to have it private in their journals, find a way to, honor just this natural process of, you know what, I've come this far, where do I want to be in two months, three months, four months? Um, it's just good practice, right? I think kids, they're especially like middle school and elementary, but I mean, definitely high school too. Um, I think kids are so just self-absorbed in their current that they don't often think about their past or future, right? It's what's right. happening now is the worst or the best or <laughs> the most boring, right? <laughs> like it's, it's, right. they're so centered on that, that forcing them outside of that is just a good reflective practice. That's good for metacognition. It's good for, uh, just developing them mm. as human beings. So, um, I think it's good. And that's all we go. got on this episode, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Craft the Draft. That's Pam Ocho. I'm Jacob Chastain. Lee is lurking in the shadows, but she's been hanging out with us, chilling. Uh, just like you can. If you're hearing this, that means you can come watch this stuff later. Remember, this is going to be the only free episode that we're going to drop uh, over the course of the next two weeks. So if you're hearing this, we have bonus episodes that are recording all single, all, all single week, all week long uh, for you to go listen to. So join us on Patreon so you get access to those, just like our patrons are going to do. They're going to have access to all of this. But if you're hearing this as a patron and you miss this recording, you can come. You have one, two, three, three more chances uh, to come. We're going to be live again the 21st, the 22nd, and the 25th. So multiple opportunities to jump in. Very low pressure. We're just doing some podcasts. Saturday will actually be a full-on training where we'll actually have a lot to do. But we just thought it'd be kind of cool to open it up, let you guys come. Maybe it could be something that we do regularly for patrons. Who knows? Maybe Leah can just always be hanging out with us. But we want all of you guys to come <laughs> chill as well. If you can. If you can't, no pressure. But thank you for supporting this podcast. Just like Donna, Amanda, Matt, Jen, Lori, Hannah, Andrea, Tracy. Susan, Natalie, Lori, Destiny, Melissa, Carol, Courtney, Rebecca, Sarah, Amy, Mark, and Leah, Brandy, and Alicia all have come back next week for another fantastic episode. Come back tomorrow if you're hearing this as a patron today and you can get another live one. We're talking reading workshop first. So we're going to jump into writing workshop the following day. But as always, know that we are here for you.